Hello and welcome to episode 457 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes the not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. This is Monster Kid Radio, and this is the first episode in the month of February, which means you are here for week one of Flashback February, where we're going to take a look at some movies that have previously been discussed over the past 456 episodes of the podcast. There are some movies in here that I've wanted to revisit, some movies in here that some guests would like to come on and talk about because they weren't there the first time around. And this time around, we have Scott Morris, my man from Disney, Indiana. He's coming by to talk about a bonafide classic, a very, very important film to me personally, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Now, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that Joe Stuber from Comic Book Central and I covered all the Abbott and Costello Meet the Monster movies in the past. But it's been a while, and I wanted to revisit this film. Scott loves the movie, so why not? Let's make Flashback February a thing and have Scott on to talk about the film. In that conversation, you'll hear why this movie is pretty important to me. I don't want to spoil it, but we're just going to call that a tease. Not a spoiler, just a tease. Of course, we are going to spoil the movie, but I assume most of you have already seen it. Also in this episode of Monster Kid Radio, we have another installment of Kenny's look at famous monsters of Filmland, and I think you're going to dig that. And we'll get to all of that, but first I wanted to address some feedback that's been coming in for the show. I've gotten a number of posts on Facebook. Honestly, I've kind of lost track with how many comments I've gotten on Facebook from people talking about how much they've enjoyed the satanic rites of January, last month's theme. And I even got a voicemail that pretty much sums up everything that was said on Facebook. So let's just play that. Hi, Derek. This is Karen Walker from Planet 8 Podcast. And I just wanted to uh, tell you what uh, pleasure it's been to listen to your Satanic Rites of January. Wow, I was just uh, kind of catching up after the holidays. And uh, I have to tell you, uh, you and your guests really hit it out of the park this month. It was just incredible. I couldn't believe uh, how you covered so many films that I really love. As usual, you know, you did a great job mixing up the uh, entertainment and education in every episode. I couldn't believe some of the stuff you covered. Like Devil Rides Out, I love that Hammer film, and it's kind of one of the offbeat Hammer movies, especially having Christopher Lee play the hero. And uh, you and Frank Schindler did a great job on that. And I really appreciated learning more about uh, Dennis Wheatley and the things that he did. And uh, also the Satanic Rites of Dracula. You know, you and Alistair Hughes together again, and I loved his infographic, all that, that look at that all the time. And uh, you guys, have, guys had a great rapport, so that was fun listening to that. It makes me want to go and watch that film again, so I need to do that. Oh, The Black Cat, I just watched that in, in October for Halloween, and of course you and Scott Morris, you know, you were you were cracking me up, just just talking together, it was like being in a room with, with friends, so I really enjoyed that. Oh, and The Normals Tape, that was another one that was kind of an obscure movie I remember seeing back in the 70s, and then not again for years. And boy, yeah, you guys were right. That was a really spooky movie. There's something about those 70s films, the TV movies, that just really gets the hair on the back of your neck up. So you and Steve Sullivan, I, I uh, really enjoyed that conversation a lot. So uh, nothing nothing really uh, coherent, special to add, except just wanted to say 
Uh, what a fantastic job this month. Uh, well, you do a great job all the time, but wow, the, the theme month uh, was incredible. So uh, just uh, kudos to you and uh, keep it going, buddy. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for all the entertainment. Karen, thanks so much for calling in and letting me know what you thought of the Satanic Rites of January, as well as a little bit of Dan Sember last year. Last year, man, it's already February 2019. Anyway, time just keeps on. Okay, back on track. Uh, The Satanic Rites of January. You know, I had thought that maybe it would be a one-off, but the feedback that I've gotten on Facebook, voicemails like yours, the enthusiasm that Monster Kid Radio's been receiving over the Satanic Rites of January has just been tremendous. So I think we're going to see this happen again next year. I do have Race with the Devil that I wanted to do with Todd Brown and just never got around to it. So you can count on that. Plus, there are a handful of other movies that the devil plays a role in. I was actually looking up public domain films earlier today and stumbled across a handful of silent films that feature the devil or Satan in some horrific role. And it might be fun to visit some of those. So I think that'll definitely happen next January. And then, of course, Dan Sember. I mean, that's a thing. That's going to happen. The Norlis tapes, so cool. Such a great, great film. And the TV movies of the 70s, and I've said this about the horror movies of the 70s anyway, but the TV movies in particular, really interesting, kind of dangerous, some risks taken that you just didn't see previously or really even since, I feel like. So I'm looking forward to December 2020 when we take a look at some more of Dan Curtis's TV horror offerings. And of course, I'll play the promo for your podcast here in a moment so people can find your show. If you want to call in and leave a voicemail like Karen did, please feel free to call us at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. I have a few other bits of business to go over before we get into the rest of the show. First of all, I probably want to tell you about the music that you're hearing. The song is called Don't Press This Button. It is from the band The Necronautics. They're a really cool surf band based out of Mannheim, Germany. The album is called Scattered Peace, and you can find them at thenecronautics.bandcamp.com. It's a four-song EP release, digital album, five euros. Go check them out. Of course, you're going to hear the song in its entirety at the end of this episode as well. Thanks to them for letting us play their music here on the show. I do have some new items listed on eBay, trying to make a few more bucks here and there because I'm still unemployed at this point and any little bit helps. So I'll make sure there's a link to my eBay listings in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. I know that as of right now, I've got the Night of the Demon Blu-ray listed. Now it is opened. It is watched just one time, but otherwise it's in near mint condition. It's the region free release that Indicator put out that is currently well, no longer available. So if you want to get your hands on that, you can do that. Plus, I've got a really cool coin, a silver coin from Ireland. It is the coin they put out honoring Bram Stoker and Dracula. So I've got that listed as well. And if that goes, well, I've got a couple more I might put up as well down the line. Plus, I'm going to be putting up some more press sheets from some classic Bela Lugosi films, that sort of thing. So follow the link in the show notes to see those eBay listings or just pop on over to eBay and look up user brother D seven three. That's all one word. That's me. Also, I want to give a big shout out to Rod and Troy over at the Nashi cast. They are celebrating their 10th anniversary, 10 years of Nashi cast, Paul Nashi and beyond podcasting 
Those two guys, man, that's amazing. An amazing accomplishment. I highly recommend people check it out if you want to know a little bit more about Paul Nashi or Spanish Horror. Those two guys are the guys to go to. They've been doing commentary tracks for Paul Nashi films. They've been friends of Monster Kid Radio for years. In fact, they just had me on as part of their 10th anniversary show. Episode 62 of the Nashi cast, which came out this past weekend. Check it out. I'm on there, as is Stephen D. Sullivan, Matthew Kowalski, and Adrian Smith talking about Paul Nashi films. Man, it was a really good time. I love podcasting with Rod. I really need to get him back here on the show. One of these days, man, we'll make our schedules align. And Troy, never really spoken with him directly, but I have been swapping some messages with him lately on Facebook. That may turn into something down the line. So congratulations, you guys. And finally, one more thing before we move on to the rest of the show. You guys and gals know that Monster Kid Radio has a YouTube channel, right? Well, I'm going to be doing a little bit more on YouTube in the near future, including launching a couple of other channels and finally getting the Comic Stalgia channel up and running as well. I'll make sure there are links in the show notes to everything that I've got going on YouTube-wise. So please consider hopping on over there, subscribing to all the channels, and liking whatever videos you like. Some of the channels may not have any content there yet, but trust me, within the next few weeks, there will be some. In fact, if everything goes well, within the next couple of days, you'll see the first video uploaded to the It's Pronounced Cook YouTube channel, where I'll be talking about the TV show Lego Masters on Fox. Okay, let's get back to the monsters. Let's get back to Monster Kid Radio and what we do here. We got Kenny waiting in the wings and... I know you guys and gals are ready to hear about Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, so let's get to it. Hello, everyone. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are your hosts for NashyCast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashy. We, for over five years, have brought you the joys of Spanish cinema, filtered through our brains to you. Yes. Now, what is it that qualifies two Southern boys to talk about films that came out of Spain? And I can't think of a single thing. There's nothing that qualifies. Nothing. nothing. Except that we just love, love them, love them, love them. We love them. Nashi Cast yeah. covers the films of Paul Nashi and any other Spanish horror film that we can pretend we know something about. Uh, yes. If you love beautiful women wearing incredibly short miniskirts in subarctic temperatures <laughs> chased by werewolves in leisure suits. If you love werewolves, vampires, unidentifiable beasts, or crazy people driving women around and talking like a maniac. <laughs> yes, flying cats, beheadings with axes. <laughs> Blood that looks like Sham- melted crayons. Shambling zombies, yeah. Some of the films that we've covered in the past are Mark of the Werewolf. Howl of the Devil. Vengeance of the Zombies. Horror Rises from the Tomb. Tombs of the Blind Dead. Vampire's Night Orgy. Ooh, yes. Join us on this journey through the golden age of Spanish horror where Paul Nashi, Leon Klamowski, Jess Franco, Amando Diasorio take us through a filter Espanol. Join us for the Nashi cast. Coming soon to this theater. A ghastly, ghoulish, and totally incredible motion picture. The Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman.
queen of the vampires and Satan's favorite mistress. Werewolves and vampires will reign supreme and things will happen that have never been seen by human beings. Your blood will boil and your flesh will crawl. No one can escape the vampires and no one can run from the werewolves. Welcome to Planet 8. Every two weeks, the crew at Planet 8 Podcast explores the many worlds of science fiction, fantasy, superheroes, monsters, and more. We cover the latest movies and TV shows, as well as old favorites, too. Yeah, like Planet of the Apes. It's a man A man Hey, guys, don't forget Star Trek. Fascinating. Or classic monsters like King Kong, Creature from the Black Lagoon, or Godzilla. <laughs> If it's nerdy or geeky, we'll probably be talking about it. So why don't you tune in and check us out? You can find us on iTunes or other fine podcast providers. Come join the conversation at our website, planet8podcast.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. This is Planet 8 Podcast, signing off. End transmission. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week's movie, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, has been featured at different times during the history of famous monsters. The first mention was in FM 94 from November of 1972 in an article about surprise endings. Spoiler alert! Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein had a humorous surprise ending. After Dracula, the Wolfman, and the Frankenstein monster, Bela Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr., and Glenn Strange, respectively, apparently had been destroyed, Abbott and Costello were in a rowboat, confident that they were finally safe. Suddenly, the Invisible Man, Vincent Price, announced his presence, and the two comedians jumped overboard. An article on the entire movie was featured 11 issues later in FM 105 from March of 1975. It was introduced this way. The strangest Frankenstein of them all. The terrifying trio, Cheney, Lagosi, and Strange. Would they be a match for the dreadful duo, Abbott and Costello? You'll find out when you read this fantastically farcical fright tale based on a retelling by Eric Hoffman of the Universal Film of 1948. A 12-page, 14-photo synopsis of the film follows. Let's see how the famous meeting is described. The boys open the other crate and Wilbur covers his face in horror as he sees the Frankenstein monster within. Chick reads the legend aloud to him but ridicules it. Who would be stupid enough to believe a ridiculous tale like that? Wilbur is ready with the answer. Me! He backs into a guillotine, cutting off a wax head. FM 154 from June of 1979 included an article about all of Abbott Costello's monster meetups. This is what it had to say about ANC Meet Frankenstein. By 1948, tastes were beginning to change. With audiences becoming more sophisticated, slapstick and horror were beginning to slip into oblivion. 
new comedy teams were emerging, such as Martin and Lewis, and movie tastes were switching to science fiction films and revivals of musicals. Most people were tired of the old horror creatures such as mummies, wolfman, vampires, and such. With that in mind, Universal decided to combine the best of two worlds and came up with Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, considered by many to be the classic picture of its kind. The movie had everything, a huge desolate castle on a lonely island, a mad scientist, pretty girls, monsters, and of course, the comic genius of Abbott and Costello. To end this segment, we are going back to issue 112 from December of 1974, which included Bud Abbott's obituary and this fine tribute from Dr. Donald Reed of the Count Dracula Society, given five years before Bud's passing. I would dare venture to guess that the 21st century may well consider that the best of our popular culture were the films of Charlie Chaplin, Laurel and Hardy, the Marx Brothers, and Abbott and Costello. In 1943, Abbott and Costello were the most popular movie stars in the world. From 1941 to 1951, Abbott and Costello made the list of the top 10 box office favorites in the United States. People have always loved them and tremendously enjoyed their comedies. Recognitions from the intellectual community of their true worth have been slow. Yet in my mind, there is no question that Abbott Costello were the greatest comics of the World War II years. If great comedy must involve something beyond laughter, Abbott and Costello were not great comedians. But if plain laughter is any criterion, and to me it is a normal and healthy standard by which to judge, few in the history of the world have ever equaled Abbott Costello, and no one has ever surpassed them. With his partner, the late Lou Costello, the comic annex of Bud Abbott have been enjoyed by the public in more than 40 hilarious motion pictures, on radio and television for many years, and more recently in the color Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Abbott Costello's world was a wonderful world for me. I first learned of that world when I was a schoolboy, when Abbott Costello Meet Frankenstein was released, and in the last 20 years, I have seen it on the average at least once a year. It is a gentle and delightful satire, and indeed the best satire ever done of the horror films. The Hollywood Reporter said of it, a crazy, giddy show that combines chills and laughs in one zany sequence after the other. It is a really amusing and enjoyable film. The horror sequences are well staged and the satire was often extremely clever. As a parody, the film was fresh and original, and it will be so 50 years from now. Abbott Costello Meet Frankenstein is a film of tremendous importance in the gothic story. It was the first installment of a new series which could be entitled Abbott Costello Meet Famous Monsters. For in later years, Abbott Costello were introduced to the killer, Boris Karloff, the Invisible Man, the Mummy, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Finally, Abbott Costello entered the science fiction field with Abbott Costello Go to Mars. Bud Abbott is a most gentle and kind man. His generosity to the Count Dracula Society is borne witness by the sterling silver pins all governors of our society wear. May we all this evening wish him well, better health, a long and prosperous life. God bless all clowns, so poor the world would be, lacking their piquant touch, hilarity, the belly laughs, the ringing, lovely mirth that makes a friendly place of earth. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. I know 
I don't always add a comment to the segments that have been sent in by contributors of the show, but this time around, I definitely wanted to say thank you to Kenny for sending that in. Kenny, your looks at Famous Monsters of Filmland have made the show so much more rich and so much more enjoyable, at least as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's an essential part of the show. So thank you so much for continuing to knock it out of the park. Even when we talk about a movie that hasn't been covered in Famous Monsters, you always find something to talk about. So I really appreciate you, sir. Again, thank you. A couple of comments about this week's segment. I cannot agree more about how important the Abbott and Costello movies are, how special they are, how much they mean to American cinema and comedy. So thank you for digging that up and sharing that with us here on the show. You know, you mentioned Abbott and Costello go to Mars, and that's actually not something that we've talked about here on the show before. I don't know why that is. I think maybe at one point I talked to Joe Stuber about doing that because we had done all the other monster movies at one point. But yeah, it just never happened. I don't know why. Maybe that's something I need to correct. So not only are you providing information, sir, you're providing inspiration for future episodes of Monster Kid Radio. And listeners, you may have noticed I have, again, changed the music that I play underneath Kenny's segment. I've been playing with the format a little bit, and I've been wanting to change up the music for a while anyway. Not that I've got a problem with the surf music that we've been using, but, you know, I just like to change it up, make it fresh, and give Kenny's segment its own unique identity and flavor like during the famous monsters of filmland segments that kenny put together during lucha de mayo last time around he had his own mexican flavored music playing underneath and i really enjoyed that and thought it gave the segment its own flavor and texture so if you liked what i did this time around kenny and listeners let me know if you didn't well let me know that as well because then maybe i'll change it for next time again kenny thank you sir you're the man and i wonder in my relationship with Kenny, who's Abbott and who's Costello? Today, the scientific world revealed its most closely guarded secret, the plan for man's first venture into the far reaches of outer space. Within our fuel range are the planets Venus and Mars. One of these should be our destination. And here is the super rocket poised for its historic takeoff. And there it goes, up, up, up into interplanetary space. And at the controls of this sky monster are the greatest scientists of this generation. Abbott and Costello! We're not going to the moon. We're headed for Mars. We need to talk about the Rondo Hat and Classic Horror Awards. The ballot has been announced, and once again, you guys and gals have helped to put Monster Kid Radio under consideration for the best multimedia category and i gotta tell you guys and gals i i love this thank you so much for making monster kid radio part of the randos once again i think every year that monster kid radio has been in production we've been on the ballot as a nominee and we did win that one time and you know i, I would love i would love to get a second win so if you haven't already voted please consider voting for monster kid radio for best multimedia now i know that Voting can sometimes feel a little clunky. It's an old school way of doing things. You just email David Colton, the guy who runs the Rondos, your ballot. That's it. You don't have to vote in every category. In fact, if you haven't seen the nominees in a particular category, I would recommend making a point to checking out those nominees before voting. Please don't vote blindly. I mean, vote honestly. You know what I mean? And I'd like to give a special shout out to Josh 
Kennedy. Josh Kennedy's House of the Gorgon is up for Best Independent Film. Josh and I are part of the Monster Conservancy, and I would love to see the Monster Conservancy get represented on the winner's list this year at the Rondos. Head over to RondoAward.com to learn more about the Rondos, to learn more specifics about how to vote. But I'll just tell you, all you got to do is email David at Taraco at AOL.com. And that's spelled T as in Tom, A-R-A-C as in cat, O at AOL.com. I'll make sure it's listed in the show notes as well. If you've already voted for Monster Kid Radio for Best Multimedia, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And maybe... Maybe my single Rondo Hatton award will get a tag team partner this year with another win. We'll see. Congratulations to all the nominees and best of luck. There's an enemy spy at large, an invisible man. Amazing. Oh, you will be of great help to us. Who is this terrifying Phantom Commando? What is his amazing mission? See The Invisible Agent, suggested by H.G. Wells' Invisible Man, starring Ilona Massey and John Hall, with Peter Laurie, Sir Cedric Hardwick, J. Edward Bromberg, Albert Bosserman, in the most amazing story of our times. Ah! Did you know? Don't let him get away. Arthur, Gazunta. Who is there? How did you know I was going to England? I didn't, but... So but the I... trap was all set, eh? Oh, Frank, how can you talk like that? Oh, well, what's this? Uh, it's full of hooks. Uh, oh, they're tearing into me. The Flashbulb Podcast, three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. From cosmic horrors to fisticuffs, fast cars and smart mouths, we've got a chill for every spine. Find it all at flashbulb.com or search for it on iTunes. (laughs) It has been written since the beginning of time that evil supernatural creatures exist in a world of darkness. And it is also said, man can call forth these powers of darkness, the demons of hell. It is the night of the demon. Tonight is the night that Dana Andrews, as a daring scientist, defies the mysterious murderous devil cult in a desperate battle against the demons of hell. Oh, why did you drop the poker? Red hot. Which isn't, you know. Oh, my boy, you're as pale as death. There was something in here. He has been chosen. I've been chosen for what? What do you mean? Today I found all the pages of my desk calendar torn out after October the 22nd. 
I know why. He died on the 22nd. John, what's the matter? The same thing happened to my desk calendar after the 28th. The Frightened Girl. The Master of Witchcraft. You will die, as I said, at 10 o'clock on the 28th of this month. Your time allowed is just three days from now. Skeptical? Don't make up your mind till you see this masterpiece of macabre magic. Because, after all, evil supernatural creatures really do exist. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Flashback February. That's all I got. It's Scott Morris. How you doing? <laughs> I am really, really worried. I, I'm not sure we should be doing this. Why's that? Did you already announced what the the film is, right? Uh-huh. Um did you know this film was banned in Finland? Are you serious? I am serious. It was banned in Finland. The government agency Finnish Film Board, a film classification, banned the movie because of actual violence presented as entertainment, which was considered criminal content at the time. Do you have listeners in Finland? Are we going to get in trouble? I don't know if we do, <laughs> but now I'm going to stop everything so I can look at my stats and see if I have any <laughs> downloads in Finland. Wow. Wow. Well, what we're talking about here while I'm pulling this up, because this is exciting content for our listeners, is Flashback February, which means we are taking a look at movies that uh, we've already previously covered on the show. And the amazing Joe Suber and I talked about all the Abbott and Costello movies at one point. Scott wanted to talk about one of them, too. So we're doing Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, probably the most iconic, classic, and most would argue the best of the Abbott and Costello Meet the Monster films. I would say this is the granddaddy of all of them. I mean, if it wasn't for the success of this film, I don't think we'd have the other ones. Oh, certainly not. I have three downloads of the last episode that went to Finland. Uh, so the Finnish people that are listening to this, you might want to like get yourself to a bunker or something so that the Finnish film board of film classifications, their agents don't come looking for you or anything. If you're listening to this, just be, please be careful. I'm worried about you. Just use a VPN. You know, I need to get a sponsorship with like NordVPN <laughs> or something. And then you're fine. True. Then you're fine. <laughs> well, I, you know, I haven't looked at my stats in a long time. I 
don't know if I really believe that I have two listeners in Kazakhstan and 230 listeners in Russia. Well, those people are fine. It was only Finland that it was banned in, so. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I'm just, I'm just having fun poking around now and looking. One download in Saudi Arabia. Again, he's fine. It's, 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 it's those loyal listeners in Finland I'm really worried about. You really just want to move on from this at this point, huh? All right, fine, fine. I'm going to close my stats page. How are you, Scott? I'm doing well. How are you? It's early for me. I got up much earlier than normal than I normally do, which I guess makes sense. I got up much earlier than normal on a weekend because I really wanted to get this recording in with Scott. You've got some things going on later today and time zones being what they are. It's early and I've had one sip of coffee. So as the show continues, as the recording progresses, I'm sure I'll get a little bit more and more awake. I'll wake up more and more. Let's come back to that whole how am I doing in about half an hour or so. Okay. 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 I, I appreciate you doing this early for me. I'd like to wish my in-laws a happy 50th wedding anniversary. That's what we're doing later today. Yeah, not yeah, yeah. that I'm sure they listen to the show or not. I don't know, but <laughs> tell your mother-in-law I said hi. And I just, will. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that sounded a little creepy. Um, <laughs> I saw what I saw when I saw it. Yes, I don't know. I'm trying yes. to get this back on track. <laughs> I, I will say that I very much enjoyed your previous coverage of this and the other Abbott and Costello films with Joe Stuber. Those are some of my favorite episodes of MKR in the past. And it always made me a little sad that I wasn't able to talk to th- about this movie because this is one of my, and it always has been one of my favorite movies. I've been an Abbott and Costello fan since I was really little. My grandfather was a huge Abbott and Costello fan. And for an early birthday, he actually got me a cassette of the Abbott and Costello Who's on First, the entire show, the radio program. And I have listened to that thing so many times. I could quote even the skits outside of the Who's on First and the the musical bits and uh, all of the uh, cigarette commercials are in there, everything. I just, I love that recording. And so I've been a huge fan of these guys for a long time. That's so cool. So I don't know if we talked about this when I had Joe on. I did not go back and re-listen to that episode, and maybe I should have. So listeners, if I repeat anything that I've talked about, Uh, On a previous episode, I apologize. Um, But I don't know if I talked about my first exposure to Abbott and Costello when I had Joe on. Do you remember? I don't remember if you did or not. My first exposure to Abbott and Costello was the Abbott and Costello cartoon show. It's a show that ran in the late or was produced in the late 60s and ended up uh, in syndication, you know, being played in the morning for a long time. I distinctly remember this show, watching it in the morning. And I would learn later that it wasn't really Abbott and Costello. I mean, but Abbott was there, but Costello wasn't around to do the, right. the voice. So somebody owes Stan Irwin playing the voice of, uh, or playing Costello in that. And I just remember the opening credits and a lot of, Abbott, 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 <laughs> you know. So, hey, Abbott! Uh, I don't remember it being overly... Uh, aggressive in terms of how Abbott treats Costello. You know, there's a lot of slapping and all that involved. And I don't remember any of the episodes or anything like that. I just remember the opening credits and I think they were cops. They might've been police officers in the opening credits, but that was my very first exposure to them when I was much, much younger. And then I eventually 
saw this film. This film was the first Abbott and Costello film that I saw. This was not the first one that I saw because, like I said earlier, my grandfather was the one that uh, got me into Abbott and Costello. And I would watch Abbott and Costello movies with him growing up. And my grandfather was not into the monster movies at all. So we watched a lot of the comedies that they did that, you know, Buck Privates and, and stuff like that. So I watched a lot of those before I saw when they met Frankenstein. In fact, just about 10, 12 years ago, for Christmas, my dad actually got me the Abbott and Costello box set, which basically has all of their movies in it. Is that the crate? Yes. Yeah, uh, I have that as well. And that's that's a really cool set. The presentation is just awesome. Yep. You know, if nothing else, it looks really cool sitting on your shelf. But it's got pretty much every single one. And there's a couple. I think there's like one or two that's missing because they were with a different studio. Right, right. But um, I had seen most of those films before oh, right I saw on. this film. Right on, man. And I, I didn't get to see this on a big screen till I was an adult. And this was one of the first movies that I saw at the Historic Artcraft Theater down in Franklin, Indiana. Oh, wow. Hey, I, w- I want to talk a little bit more about that. But before we get too much further, okay. I, I want to go back to the cartoon real quick. Okay. Because it's got two interesting connections, I think. The person who did the most of the music on the show was Hoyt Curtin, who was the primary musical director for Hanna-Barbera at the time. But he also did the score for Mesa of Lost Women and Ed Wood's Jailbait. Awesome. Uh, anyway, I thought those were, that was kind of neat, especially uh, the Jailbait connection, just because that's actually not a bad flick. But uh, except for the big blackface scene, that, that's, that's unfortunate. <laughs> that's hard but, to watch, and, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Mesa of Lost Women, man. <laughs> I wonder if they'd ever showed that at the art craft. <laughs> I, I kind of doubt it. I don't think they've ever shown that. But no, this was, I just found <laughs> out about the art craft many, many years ago. And they brought this in one Halloween season. It was like the weekend before Halloween. And this was even before I knew the way they do things at the art craft is they show movies on Friday and Saturday and they do a matinee on each day. And then. Their full-blown production is at evening where they have all of their additional stuff where they have the prize draw and they have the short attention span theater and everything. But during the matinee, it's just the showing of the movie. And since it's it's such a long drive for me, I decided, oh, I'm just going to go to the matinee. That way I'm not out driving really late heading back home. That's the last matinee I've been to. I've, I've always gone to the evening performances and showings at the Artcraft since because I love everything else that they put together. It's just a fun evening. But getting to see this on a big screen was so much fun in, in a like-minded group of people. Yeah, it kind of skewed older, but it was so much fun. The Historic Artcraft Theater is in Franklin, Indiana, and it looks like it just looks awesome. I've never been, obviously. I'm not in the area, but every time Scott and Tracy, his wife, go, I, I get incredibly jealous because it just looks awesome. It, it's an old school theater presentation. Still looks really, really cool. Uh, it's got a, like a retro popcorn machine right there. Yeah. I'm looking up some pictures online. Uh, it, was, it just looks awesome. It's like a revival house, right? Yes. It was originally built as a vaudeville theater. That's give you ah. an idea how old it is. The show the movies there. And what's really cool now is it's run by a nonprofit group. And when they can, they show prints still. Now, they have the ability to show digital movies, 
but most often it is uh, prints. Like when I saw Abbott and Costello, it was an original print that they showed. Oh, wow. Okay. And their popcorn's amazing. It's it's all locally grown, so it's so so good. I'm trying. It's, it's early still. I haven't had enough coffee, but I want to make a corny joke about you, but I can't <laughs> get there. I can't just can't get there. Um. Yeah, my favorite joke they, they actually have about their popcorn is one, in the evening shows, one of the prizes they give away is whoever traveled the farthest to the theater to see the movie that night. And we've been there a couple times where they have somebody um, from outside the U.S. show up. Oh, wow. And, and they usually win. And so what you win is a large bucket of popcorn. And so if it's a somebody from outside the U.S. that wins, they always say, now our popcorn is locally grown and internationally known. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think... These days, especially with, um, I don't know how distribution is going, everything's going to digital and, you know, the movie business being what it is. It, it's cool to see theaters doing more than just putting a movie on the screen and calling it good. You know, and it sounds like this is one of these places that really goes above and beyond by creating an experience. You've told me about like when they showed the birds, what they did to the lobby. We went to the Alfred Hitchcock Film Festival, which was six movies over the course of two days. And the last movie was The Birds. It was Saturday night. It was about 12.30 when it ended. But during the showing of The Birds, in the lobby, they just put hundreds of stuffed blackbirds everywhere. So when <laughs> all the people were walking out, we had to walk through all these birds. It was it added a, an extra level of, of eeriness to the whole evening, which was a lot of fun. You say eerie. I say cool. <laughs> well, yeah, it cool. was. It was cool. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. it's one of our favorite places to go. We like to go there. Um, another theater that is is close to that area, it's in Shelbyville, Indiana, is the Strand Theater. And the mm -hmm. reason I'm bringing that one up is they've announced over the course of 2020, they do what they call Friday Night Frights. And okay. they're going to show all of the classic Universal monster oh, movies this year. Yeah. Starting on February 7th with the original Dracula. But later this year, they're showing Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Right on, man. Right on. Now, is it at the Artcraft that did the the two night Universal Monster yes. Marathon? The first time that we um, and went I think we talked about it here on the show, haven't we? Yeah, Tracy and I actually came on and, and kind of gave a review of the entire uh, two nights. They showed six of the uh, the classic thing. You know, it was it was in order. So we saw Dracula. We saw. Uh, the Wolfman, the Invisible Man, Frankenstein, the Bride of Frankenstein, and the original Creature from the Black Lagoon on a print in 3D with the red-blue glasses. Nice. And it was, Now, they didn't include this in the mix, did they? No, no. It was just those movies. Okay. Just the, the ones that are considered the, the standard, the main movies. And that was another one of the, the film fest weekends. It was two Saturday night and uh, four on, excuse me, two Friday night and four on Saturday. That's just amazing. I mean, I have to live vicariously through Scott <laughs> whenever he talks about the aircraft. And I know listeners do the same with, with me whenever I talk about the Hollywood or the joy or whatever. And I, and I get it, but man, I, mm, I if I've, I'm ever in that area, you know, I'm going, I've made it to the Hollywood. Yes, you have. If you come back out this way, I will take you uh, down to the art craft. No problem. How far away is it from your place? It is about an hour and 20 minute drive. But it's oh, worth that's it. that's nothing. It's worth it. That's nothing. 
Now, I wanted to bring up the Hollywood because I to tie this back into Abbott and Costello. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's going to be a roundabout way. But when Tracy and I was out to visit you guys, we went to the Hollywood to see The Hateful Eight. Mm, that's right. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Quentin Tarantino has said that Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is one of his three most influential films ever. <laughs> I don't see it. Okay. <laughs> he likes the combining of the genres, which he tries to do in a lot of his movies. That's what he says about this movie. And that's why he likes it. He says it's scary, really scary, but when it's funny, it's really funny. Okay. And just if you're curious, the other two films on his influential list are Taxi Driver and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is one of his um, influential films, personally. And I can see that, because a lot of his films, he interjects different styles in them. So I can see it. Huh. <laughs> I have I have mixed thoughts about Tarantino, but that's that's fascinating. Yes. I, I guess I knew he he's a student of cinema. Yes, he, he's one of these guys. I mean, he worked in a video store. He's a film geek. You know, he's he's like us. Hmm. Interesting. Yes, I know I'm a bigger fan of him than you are, and that's okay. That's why they have a whole bunch of different theaters and screens showing different things. So listen to you. <laughs> Well, I am thrilled that we're going to be talking about this movie with you. Um, I know it is a personal favorite of yours and knowing you, Scott, and I think the listeners have gotten to know you over the years as well, knowing your particular um, style, uh, preferred style of like humor, what you like to laugh at, that sort of thing. It's obvious. This oh, yeah. is a movie that you're going to like. I mean, it's it's a no brainer. I had. Uh, see what I got. Uh, yes, uh, uh, brain. brain uh, uh, well, that was the original title for this film. I know. Yeah, <laughs> the brain of Frankenstein, which I'm yeah. kind of glad they didn't go with that name. What's that? Well, it doesn't really describe what this movie is. It makes it sound. I mean, it's it's a movie I'd like to see. Go, don't get me wrong, but it sounds mm -hmm. like it would be more of a straight, classic Frankenstein movie. You know, the ghost of Frankenstein, the son of Frankenstein, the brain of Frankenstein, the bride of Frankenstein, they all fit together. Right. But it doesn't really open up this film to an audience of fans that like Abbott and Costello and like comedy. I think okay. they would have missed out on drawing that audience in. I, well, word of mouth, I think, would have taken off. But it, in the beginning, I think it would have been a hard, harder sell. At the time, though, Abbott and Costello were not in their boom years. You True. Know? And, and neither were so, the monsters. Right. They, they kind of needed each other to rekindle both of the franchises. And I think it was probably more successful for Abbott and Costello than the monsters. Oh, I do I too. Mean, th this really is the last hurrah. And while Abbott and Costello did meet the invisible man, the mummy and all these others, it, it's really not the same. They became Abbott and Costello vehicles with a monster thrown in. Whereas I feel like this one is a good mix of both. I agree. And, why I like when they meet the mummy and they meet the invisible. I actually really like oh, the yeah. invisible man. I think it's one of my favorites. It's my second favorite of the batch. Oh yeah, me too. But this one has a lot of the elements that earlier Abbott and Costello comedies have that I, I think are missing in some of the uh, other meet the monster films. I, I, and monster moments as well. Yes. 
I think Abbott and Costello meet the mummy, for example. And I think that's the, and that's the last one in the run. They do a variation of the who's on verse sequence, mm-hmm. which I think is great. And I think you see the candle gag a few times and, and you can see some of their regular routines kind of creeping in. But this one does seem to be the most pure Abbott and Costello, the most pure monster of the batch. I really like some of the monster. Parts. I mean, you could have made this film, taken Abbott and Costello out of it and just had two guys working in a receiving dock and played it straight. And it, I think this would have been a good movie. Oh, sure. And I think that's part of the reason why this movie succeeds as well as it does and less. And, and it has the legacy that it has is because it, it really feels like it, it's just another part of the franchise. And for many people it is, it does kind of break the continuity a little bit. Because in House of Dracula, Lon Chaney, or excuse me, Lawrence Albert was cured. Yeah, I was going to say, he, was, he wasn't a werewolf anymore. But he shaved at some point and got the werewolf back. Yeah, because they, <laughs> they don't say how he got it back, so it doesn't really fit into that. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of little inconsistencies that we could bring up. Like, why doesn't McDougal turn into a werewolf at the end of the movie? I mean, there's a lot of things like that we could bring up, but I don't think it's really worth bringing up. Oh, I don't know. I think it's fun to bring up to consider the possibilities. Oh, I, yeah. There, there are a lot of things that happen in this that I feel like our nitpicks are kind of breaking, quote unquote, the, the rules. You see Dracula's reflection, things yeah. like that. But it doesn't take anything away from the monstrousness of it for me. And it really just almost adds to the charm. I don't know. There's just something magical about the movie that transcends pretty much any horror comedy that I've ever seen. I, I think horror and comedy can go well together. I know you're a big fan of like Shaun of the Dead yeah. uh, and things like that. And, and those are great too. But this one for me is the best. Yeah, this one is easily the best. But then again, I, I also think you could take the comedy out of it and it would be a good movie. Or you could take the horror out of it and just watching Abbott and Costello would be a good movie. You know, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. That's what makes it perfect. And I don't think some of like Shaun of the Dead, if you took the zombies out of it, I don't, I'm not sure it would be a funny movie. Or if you took the comedy out of it, I'm not sure it would be a good zombie movie. Hmm. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. That's why one of the things I love about this movie is you take either of the two pillars and it could still be a good movie, but you put them together and it's amazing. It is just so much fun. It's like peanut butter and jelly, man. Yep. Yep. It's, it's like the perfect Reese's peanut butter cup of. <laughs> <laughs> you got monsters in my comedy. You got comedy in my monsters. Hey, this tastes great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have no problem considering this part of the quote unquote official canon. I know a lot of people have really tried to bend their head around the franchise inconsistencies and trying to make things work, especially for the story of Talbot. But the mental gymnastics you need to do that aren't too strenuous anyway. I mean, it's just, it's just another installment for me. I would like to explore it a little deeper. I maybe in some, for me, I've always thought, okay, you need to know who Frankenstein's monster is. You need to know who Dracula is. And you need to know who the Wolfman is. And it's nice to know a little of their backstory and what they go through and how they got to where they are. But you don't need to know every little tiny thing about them to enjoy this movie. 
yeah, the movie does enough to tell us who these people are. And with a character like Dracula anyway, at this point, I think the American masses already knew who Dracula was. Yeah, I think the toughest one that they may not know the most about would be the Wolfman. Because both Dracula and Frankenstein, even outside of the Universal movies, are such well-known classics. Mm -hmm. um, The stories themselves, that if somebody hadn't seen any of the previous movies, they could be fine watching this movie and know who Frankenstein is. They or Frankenstein's monster, however you want to say it, or know who Dracula is. The Wolfman might be the most difficult, but really, it's explained really easy. All you need to know is as soon as the uh, the moon comes out, he turns into a werewolf where he can't control himself because he wants you know he keeps talking about locking himself having himself locked into a room and everything. That's all you really need to know about him. Yeah, and I think of the three big monsters in this, the movie spends the most time giving us Talbot's backstory. And I think maybe that's a little bit more accurate, too, is that the movie-going audience knew what a wolfman was, knew what werewolves were, you know, and, and maybe they knew, eh, you know, full moon, guy turns into a wolf and all that. It's the Larry Talbot character that needed a little bit more True. Uh, backstory. And, and the movie does a great job of breaking that down and telling us who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. I mean, he makes it pretty clear from the very beginning. I'm tracking Dracula and Frankenstein's monster because they must be destroyed. Yep. I turn into a wolf at night. You and a whole bunch of other people, pal, but yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know. You and 10 million other men. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever the line is. Yeah. Yes, I love that line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the movie does a really good job just kind of breaking it all down for us. Once you know that, you just, you're on for the roller coaster ride. You just have fun uh, following these characters. And, I mean, you know that, okay, Dracula wants to control Frankenstein's monster. Okay, he needs a new brain. He needs one he can control. Well, who else is he going to get for a simple mind? We have uh, Evan Costello. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple things that did kind of stick out to me this time around, and, and I watched this yesterday afternoon, so it was pretty. It's pretty fresh for me too. Uh, obviously, I've seen it over and over and over again. I mean, it's it's not one that I came to fresh by any means, but I tried real hard to kind of pay attention and and see if there was anything in here that struck me this time more so or, or brand new or, or for the first time, I suppose uh, watching it. And there were, there weren't really a lot of things because I've seen this movie so many times over the years, but what I did come away from it was uh, with, was just a, a deeper appreciation for it because I think it's one of these movies that every time you watch it, you find something else that just strikes you as being funnier than the last time or more impactful than the last time. Like this time around, how Dracula brings Frankenstein's monster uh, to life to begin with, with the ring, mm-hmm. just really kind of stuck with me this time. And I, I know the ring gag, but I, I found that really interesting because I think this is the first time in the Universal movies that the ring did anything other than just being a ring or maybe being a tool to hypnotize. It, it electrifies a little bit the monster to bring him back and having just watched uh, the monster squad the other day for another potential recording down the line for with somebody else he does some things with electricity coming out of his cane out of his walking stick and just seeing the different things that dracula does with electricity dracula versus frankenstein the al adamson's film his ring shoots stuff he uses his wing his ring is a weapon so to see 
and I, I'm not saying this is the first time it ever happened, but to see Dracula's ring have some other properties other than just being a piece of fancy jewelry or maybe a tool to hypnotize was kind of cool. Also, something else that caught my attention is at McDougal's House of Horrors, which I know we talk about this, and we'll play the Classic Five here in a little bit. I know we talk about different sets that we'd like to hang out in and visit and that sort of thing. That room would be so cool to hang out in. It's like a very early Madame Tussauds type. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. I want to hang out in there. And yeah, I, it's so cool. I want to read more of his little promotional signs, like the ones that they read. It's like those are just so much gold just reading those. Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, and there was a placard for the guillotine. Yep. But there's also uh, a mummy in there, uh, or at least uh, the coffin, an Egyptian coffin Mm -hmm. in there. And that just makes me think about some of the missed opportunities, because originally this movie was going to have so many more monsters. Yep. They wanted the mummy in this film from what I was reading, and they just couldn't figure out a way to work him into the story. He was right there, man. Yep. He's in McDougal's House of Horrors. Yeah, I don't know how they would have worked in, like, you know, the uh, some of the others. Wasn't the ape woman potentially considered at one point? And, and I, creature, yeah. I have no idea how that would have worked. But. Well, the creatures in the Black Lagoon hadn't been hadn't oh, that's debuted a good point. yet. So that's a good point. As, as my wife was joking this morning, uh, he was probably swimming around in the water under the boat at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see that? I can see that. There you go. There you go. Work that fan cannon a little bit more. Yep. Well, I mean, you got the Invisible Man, so why not? Yes, and I I love the fact that, you know, Vincent Price came in to record one line for the film. I mean, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) He's not in the original Invisible Man. He's in Returns, which I love. I love that cameo at the end of the film. To have him come back, though, and play the Invisible Man after having done it in the Invisible Man Returns, and if I remember right, he survives at the end of Invisible Man Returns? I believe so. Yeah, so I guess that kind of makes sense. But again, and I know it's just a gag and maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but he was cured at the end of The Invisible Man Returns. But maybe there's just something about that part of Florida that brings the (laughs) werewolfism back. Well, no, that's not true either because Talbot starts in Europe. Yes, he does. A couple of questions that I have, and, and again, they're not things that break the movie for me. They're just things that make me go, huh, I wonder what would have happened here, you know? I want to know how, obviously, Talbot slipped back into werewolfism, how the lycanthropy took back over. But I also want to know, when did Dracula become a mad scientist? I really feel like there's a lot of mad scientist elements here to his character, and that's not really part of the traditional universal arc. That's true, but I love it. Oh, me too. I just, I I think yeah. I want to see more of it. I would love to have seen him more. So how am I going to put this? When I say serious, I don't mean, you know, just non-comedy, basically. I want to see him do a straight horror movie, maybe trying to bring the Frankenstein's monster back or doing something similar. I think that was amazing. And him partnering up with, you know, more modern doctors to try to do that, that he ended up having to control. I just, I love that whole part of the story. It's cool because Lugosi did spend some time playing some mad scientists after Dracula. So, you know, to see him kind of revisit some of this, I don't know, devil bat, mm-hmm. corpse vanishes kind of thing. It's nice. It's just an interesting throwback, but not something that I would have, 
expected with the universal films. But then again, at the end of house of Dracula, I guess he is kind of, I don't know, possessing a scientist. So maybe, maybe, I, I don't know. It's just, it's cool to see him though. I, I, I will never get tired of seeing Lugosi on screen no, and neither. to see him as Dracula again. It's, it's really kind of sad to think that he only played Dracula, the actual Dracula twice. For Universal, for Universal. For feature films. Yeah. He did do that one Betty Boob short, but True. other than this, you booped your last boob. But <laughs> other than this, yeah, it, it really is. It's interesting. I mean, it's a nice kind of mirroring, I suppose, that he pretty much started the monster boom with Dracula and brought an end to it with this one. Yeah, I, I can see that. But it, it is too bad that he didn't get a chance to play Dracula for Universal more. I really feel like he got chewed up by Universal and by Hollywood and, and not used properly. And I'm sure part of it had to do with his accent and his, whether intentional or not, inability to assimilate the way somebody like Karloff could. But there's just something magical about Lugosi, and I will never get tired of seeing him on screen. Speaking of Karloff, part mm-hmm. of me is a little sad that he's not here. Don't get me wrong, and I don't want to take anything away from Glenn Strange, but I would love to have had Karloff as the monster. It would have been interesting, and Karloff did actually do some promotion for yes, the film. Yes, he did. His agreement with Universal is he would do some promotion as long as he didn't have to see the movie. Yeah, he wasn't a big fan of how the monster evolved in the films. And I get that. Yeah. You know, there is a different vibe, uh, a different feel to the character of the monster in the first couple of Frankenstein films and then what happened to him as the franchise continued. But then you see that with pretty much everything Universal was doing. When the Lumleys were ousted, basically, when they were bought out and, and the film industry changed, there is definitely a shift in terms of what the output was like Dracula and Frankenstein prestige films, the invisible man, big deal. House of Frankenstein. It's awesome as monster kids. We dig it, but it's not the same. And I think Karloff kind of knew what was coming when he left the role. True. But I also, the reason I would love to see him here, you and I, recently here on the show talked about uh, the black cat and how much we'd love to see those two interact in the movie. Mm, man, how amazing <laughs> would it have been to have seen Lugosi Dracula and Karloff Frankenstein's exactly. monster together. I would love wow. to have seen that. Now, nothing against Karloff, but do you think he would have agreed to play a role that was that subservient to somebody? I don't think so. Like Lugosi at that point in his I career? I think that's probably yeah. part of the reason he didn't do this. Yeah. And that's not saying Karloff was like an egomaniac or whatever, but, you know, it was Karloff. He, mm-hmm. he, he, he was billed by one name. You know? yep. <laughs> it was Karloff, you know, so. And, and there is talk about how the roles were switched in Black Friday because Karloff wanted more. Anyway. Anyway. But, yeah, I, I would just like to have more screen time with the two of them together. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. It would be amazing. I mean, their their collaborations are always great. And. I almost prefer their collaborations when they're not in makeup, as, as heavy makeup. I love, I love uh, Son of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. You know, Karloff Lugosi, Frankenstein's monster, Igor, they're great. 
But I'm also a big fan, like you said, of the Black Cat. It's great. The few times we're on together in Black Friday. The Raven is awesome. And I guess, you know, the Raven, Karloff does play subservient and almost victim to Lugosi in that. So maybe, I don't know, something to just think about, you know, the what ifs. And maybe that's another part of the charm of this film is we look at it and we think about all these different what ifs and boy, I wish they would have done it this way, but none of this takes anything away from the film. Oh no, none of it does. And one of the things that I wanted to comment on, you had mentioned earlier about watching this movie this time, trying to learn new things about it and everything. This was one of the first times that I actually went out before I watched the movie and read the trivia on IMDb and mm. a couple other places Okay. So I was actually on the lookout for some of the things that they were talking about. Because I, like you, I've seen this movie countless times. And so I wanted to try to see it through a different eye. The scene where Costello ends up being on the monster's lap. So in the trivia, it mentions how between takes and on different takes, Costello was ad-libbing different things. Oh, sure. And Glenn Strange got to the point where he couldn't stay in character. He was laughing so much. And I've seen a couple outtakes. If you watch the uh, the Blu-ray set that uh, of the Frankenstein Universal films, where this that's how I watched it. There's a some outtakes in a little documentary that's showing Glenn Strange is the monster just laughing. He's laughing at Costello so much. Sure. But if you watch the movie. And you watch his face closely, right as Costello leaves his lap. The monster has this huge grin on his face because he's he's laughing. But it's really quick, and I never noticed it before until this viewing because I was watching for that in the trivia. That was one of the things. And, and now I, I probably will never not see that, but I love it knowing what's causing that whole thing. And the sure. fact that he's, that he's doing that. There's an, another thing that I uh, found out this time. There's a scene where Abbott and Costello are standing on one side of a door trying to hold it closed and the monster's trying to come through. And okay. Costello purposely didn't stand on the mark that he was supposed to stand on. So when the monster punches through, he actually punches Costello. And the director loved it so much he kept it in because he loved the reaction of Costello... Uh, to being punched. So now if you watch that scene closely, he's actually getting hit. <laughs> it does look a little awkward. I, I, I think, I mean, I knew that too. And watching it, there is a moment of like real shock on his face. Yes, like, there oh, is. You know. <laughs> yeah. But my absolute favorite thing I learned this time that I, I don't remember you guys talking about this in the past. Maybe you did. And I, it, it just didn't stick with me. I don't know. But Glenn Strange, as the monster, at one scene, broke his ankle, tripped yeah. over some lighting cable. So they were getting ready to film the scene where the monster throws the female doctor out the window. And he couldn't do it because he was healing his ankle. And Lon Chaney steps in. He's actually the monster in that scene. Yep. He's actually he actually plays two monsters in this movie. And so when that scene comes up, I'm really watching the monster closely. 
not only when he throws the woman out the window, but when he, he, he heads back, tries to go after Abbott and Costello, he moves differently in that scene than any other time in the movie. You can definitely tell that it's a different person in the makeup. Yeah. And that just, that elevates even more my appreciation for Lon Chaney Jr. to be, oh, we can't do that scene. Oh, don't worry about it. I'll jump in. Put, the, put me in the makeup. I've been the monster before. I can take care of this. I was like, that's cool. <laughs> People who have listened to me podcast over the years, whether it's through this show or like down when we did 1951 downplays or even back during my mail order zombie days, they know that the minute I start feeling like there's a little bit of DIY going on here, a little like guerrilla filmmaking going on here, that immediately makes the movie even better in my eyes. And I don't know why that is. I, I think I'd be a filmmaker when I grew up or whatever. There's just something about that. Hey, let's put on a show. We're going to make it happen one or the other kind of vibe that I respond well to. And that moment when you realize, hey, Cheney took over, whether the studio told him to do it, whether he didn't realize what he was doing because he was drinking on set. Who knows? It doesn't matter how it happened. It just happened. And they made the movie work. And yep. You know, it just, it's one of those things. It's just one of those things, man. <laughs> it's part of the charm, part of the magic. I would have loved to have been on set with these guys. And I know you hear stories over the years about how Lugosi didn't like the unprofessionalism and all that. I don't know if that's really true or not. I think that's been played up quite a bit. I would just would have loved to have been on set to see the antics. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see the, and the set details too. Yeah. Like we talked about earlier with, um, the house of horrors. Yeah. 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 I would love to have been able to visit that and look at everything. It'd be amazing. So a couple of questions for you. Why do you think McDougal was so angry from the very, very beginning? I mean, just right off the bat, he's never a pleasant man. What is his problem? (laughs) I always took it as he was contacted by an unknown agent, which Mm -hmm. we, I think we determined that it's that female doctor that contacted him. Because she was wanting to get them to Florida. Yeah, Dr. Mornay. Uh-huh. Right. But he knew what he was getting, and he knew that he was going to make a ton of money off that if he had Dracula's actual remains and Frankenstein's monster. Disney World might not have been the biggest uh, attraction in Florida if McDougal's actually had those things. And he knew that was coming, and he didn't want anything to happen to him, and he wanted him in his possession as soon as possible. And I think that's why he was irritated and not being able to pick up his stuff right away, and he was worried about them not surviving the trip, and that's why he took out the big insurance and was already contacting the insurance agent. I think that's why he was the way he okay. was. All right, all right. And so you think it was Mornay that made it happen? Oh, I do, definitely. Okay. Because they were trying to figure out how to get those things to Florida where they could be worked on. Why it had to come to Florida to actually be done, that I don't know. Yeah, that's the next question. Is like, why Florida? What's special about Florida other than there happens to be a creepy castle set up? And why is there a creepy castle set up? Because Florida is a good place for castles. Oh, okay. Is that <laughs> is that what it is? Yes, you're showing my Disney side here. <laughs> is that where, where Disney got the idea? Yes, it was this movie. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've always wondered about the character of McDougal. And, and every time I watch this movie, he becomes a bigger and bigger character for me in the story. And I don't know why that is. He doesn't do anything different each time I watch the movie. He's still one note angry dude. Yeah, he's just a buffoon. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But I, I do, I like him. I mean, he's he's there for Abbott and Costello to play off there early in the film. Mm-hmm. Also, every time I watch this, I've watched more Abbott and Costello movies, right? I've got more Abbott and Costello in my diet these days. And mm-hmm. So I see more and more routines lifted from previous Abbott and Costello acts in here. And I even see moments that could have included even more. Like there's a lot of when Costello is trying to tell Abbott about the monster lurking and all that. I just, part of my brain goes to, and slowly I, I turn. <laughs> yep. Yep. The Niagara, the Niagara Falls stuff, you know, I just think, why didn't they do that, man? I would have loved it, but whatever. <laughs> this movie's just special, man. It, it really is. It really is. So the first time you saw it, when you saw it, had you seen the other movies up, up oh, until yeah. this point? I okay. saw, when you say other movies, are you talking about other Abbott and Costello movies or the other Universal movies? Universal. I had seen them, yes. Okay. This was my first. This was the first one that I had seen of, of any of them. I knew the stories of them. Again, going back to those. And I've told the story too, the Crestwood House books, you know, the library kid section, checking out all the monster books and just falling in love with all the stories of them and not having seen any movies so much, much later. When this one came on afternoon television, I was at my friend's house, Bobby's house across the street. He and his dad and I watched the movie and I'm sure I ruined it because I kept saying, yeah, and that's Dracula. And and he did this and he did that (laughs) and he did this and all these other movies. And I had never seen the movies, but here I am, this cocky little grade schooler. Like, I know all the stories of all the monsters and I'm going to tell you all right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of glad this was the first one I saw because it's just. It's a great entry point. One of the things that I've read quite a bit about this, people saying that this is a good entry point, especially for younger viewers that want to get into seeing the classic Universal films. You're not straight horror. You've got the comedy to lean on if you need it. But I can see where if this was your first, now I want to learn more about those characters. Why did they get to the point that they're at? Yes. So it's definitely, uh, and I hate to use this term, but I can't think of any other. It's a good gateway drug to the Universal Monster movies. I think that's totally fair. I don't know if there's anything wrong with calling it that. I think you're absolutely right. It does have some elements that, you know, maybe weren't visited beforehand, like the Dracula Mad Scientist thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you're really paying attention, yeah, he's got a reflection in a mirror. So what? But then I think you see his reflection in some other movies, too. So, eh, Well, well, even with the mad scientist part, when you finally see Frankenstein, like, okay, maybe that's what he was doing. He was doing the kind of the mad scientist that you would see building Frankenstein. Now he's being a mad scientist to control or improve Frankenstein. Improve Frankenstein. (laughs) (laughs) We touched on it a little bit earlier, and I, I want to come back to this. You said you were talking about Mornay being thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. She's a vampire at that point. Yes, she is. That wouldn't have killed her. Nope. So Dr. Mornay's still out there running around somewhere. You Well, is Dracula dead? Because he falls out from a very high height into water, too. So is he still around? Uh-oh. none of the vampires meet a traditional vampire death there's no decapitation there's no staking of the heart nothing like that yeah 
the whole movie ends in a way that if they wanted to revisit it, they could. Oh, yeah. Just like so many of the other movies. Okay, if this is successful, maybe we can do something else with these characters. And, and they didn't shut anybody off. I mean, I think the hardest sell you'd have is probably Frankenstein's monster, but he's been through burnings before. True. That's true. And he can always be rebuilt. Yeah. We have the technology. We can rebuild him. So wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Are we saying the $6 million man is a Frankenstein story? <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. As much as Jason is a zombie. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not going to grumble, grumble, grumble. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this has come up a couple of times on the show. And uh, maybe even when I talked about this movie with Joe Stuber, because I can't not talk enough about this book. The book Return of the Wolfman from 1998. It's out of print. It's kind of hard to get your hands on affordably, but if you can get your hands on it, I highly recommend it because it's a sequel to this movie and it's officially licensed. So for all intents and purposes, it's canon. It's real. It happened (laughs) and it takes place in basically 1998 and Talbot is revived, as is the monster in Dracula, and their eternal conflict continues. Just happens to be in 1998 now. And it happens in La Merida, Florida, the whole bit. It takes off right where this one ended. I am familiar with it, but I have never read it. So it sounds like something I, I would love to track down. I can't recommend it enough. It's really good. There was a a couple of times Universal has allowed different publishers to take their characters and write further adventures with them. And for my money, this one is the absolute most successful of all the attempts. There were two other follow-up books to this that just aren't nearly as good. Unfortunately, they're written by somebody else and they just kind of I don't know what the heck they were doing with Dracula at that point because they bring a Dracula's daughter and protoplasm and it's just weird, whatever. <laughs> but but this one is just straight up. It's Talbot. It's Dracula. It's Frankenstein's monster. And this is the book that I've mentioned before where Chick and um, Wilbur, that's right. This is the book where it's explained or, or, or hypothesized that Chick, Chick, yeah, Chick and Wilbur were so traumatized by what happened in this film that they changed their name and went somewhere else to start a new life, which happened to bring them in contact with the invisible man. Ah, and that was so terrible. They changed their name and went somewhere else to start a new life, (laughs) which happened to bring them into contact with the mummy. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool to kind of see that. And I think even the gill man is referenced briefly. Like there's rumors of a a fish man walking around the, the the swamps of Florida, but that's about it. For the most part, it is strictly just these three monsters and it's great. (laughs) So if you can get your hands on it, get it. I may have to try to to find that. Um, I've I've never read it. But one thing I wanted to bring up and something I was thinking about this morning, I've listened to other podcasts talk about this movie and inevitably it always comes around. If you were going to remake this movie, what modern comic team would you like to see with the monsters? Oh, God. But I don't want to go down that tired path. Okay, I wanna, good. Because I don't know how to answer that. I want to flip the script. Now, I have two different sources that I'm basing my idea off of. The first is Monsters, Inc. from Disney and Pixar. 
And the second is the fourth episode of season two of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Outrageous Akuna. Now hear what? me now hear me out. Okay. Let's, I, uh-huh. <laughs> let's return to a time just past the high point of slasher films. Say the late 80s, early 90s. Freddy Krueger and Chucky are sitting at a bar discussing their killing sprees and how they're becoming monotonous. But they can't stop because each of the characters feed off the victim's fear. Now, one of them spots a discarded Entertainment Weekly that contains reviews of both of their latest films. The review speaks on how each one of them are becoming more of one-liner machines, but how that's working to entertain audiences. They both say that lately they have felt more powerful and and come to the conclusion, just as Mike and Sully did in Monsters, Inc., that laughter is more powerful than fear. So the two of them attempt to find out what is humor. And they go meet up with a stand-up comedian, much like Data goes to the holodeck and meets Joe Piscopo in the outrageous Acuna. And the film follows the two of them as they go on the road to become jokers. Along the way, they run into the likes of Eddie Murphy, Robin Williams, Stephen Wright, and others who attempt to sabotage Freddie and Chucky's career hopes. So, <laughs> so the two of them come up with a comedy act where uh, Chucky is uh, Freddie's ventriloquist dummy, and they go out on the road to become jokers. I call it Freddie and Chucky Meet the Comedians. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Completely flipping the script. Instead of comedians meeting monsters, we have monsters meeting comedians. Go for it. Somebody make that for Scott. I, I, I'll probably pass, but it sounds like something Scott wants to see. <laughs> I, I think it's hilarious. It was one of these things that uh, I watched the movie last night, and this morning as I was waking up, this thought came to my mind. And that, that whole scene of Freddie and Chucky sitting in a smoky bar complaining about their careers just cracked me up. <laughs> have you seen uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare? No, I have not. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, some meta stuff in there that you're kind of tapping into there. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> well, I know that Tracy liked this idea. <laughs> Well, hey, no, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying I don't know if I'd. You're a bigger Chucky fan than I am. Yeah. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. I just went for the two biggest ones that really became one liner machines near the end of their careers. No, it's true. But that, that, that is really, true. Instead, yeah. instead of trying to figure out what modern comedians to meet monsters, I wanted to know what monsters could meet comedians yeah I, i've heard the whole you know do we how do we do it again what comics whatever i don't know if you could even really do it again no i, I don't think, think so either yeah there's just something magical and i think they've tried haven't they i think sometimes it just doesn't work you can only do it the one time and that's about it the lightning in the bottle man yeah i you mentioned Shaun of the dead earlier that is sort of like okay we're gonna have some comedians meet zombies that's probably the one that did the best. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's better when you take a horror movie and you add elements of comedy, but not something that is a 50, 50 split. And that is hard to do. Yeah. Because then you end up, you end up going down the path of like you know, parody and yep. Yep. You know, spoofing the whole thing. And as a monster kid, I don't know if I'd like to see that as much because in this movie, they treat the monsters with respect. Yep. 
they're not spoofed. And I know Karloff had his concerns about what they were doing to the characters, but I really still feel like they treated, especially Talbot, with a ton of respect. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm the type of person, I don't mind the spoofs. I mean, I love Young Frankenstein. Oh, Absolutely I do too. love that film, but it has more spoof elements, not an airplane level spoof element, but it it does it do some funny things at the expense of some of the monster parts of it. But it's still respectful to the yes. source material. It, it's still, I mean, they use some of the same equipment. Yep. In, in the sets, you know, it's certainly not not another scary movie. You know, it's not. You know, something like that. Not another scary movie. That's not what it is. It's not another team. Scary movie. It's scary not scary movie. movie. Right. Yeah. Which that does kind of spoof the whole thing and to mixed results. Right. Yeah. But with Young Frankenstein, you can tell, you know, Mel Brooks knew what the source material was. And really, you can kind of look at that as a continuation of the same story. I feel like there's not enough in there to break the monster stuff. The The only dig I would give against that movie as compared to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is young Frankenstein is more of a 75 25 split between comedy and horror. Whereas okay. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is, is almost more 50 50. Okay. But then that again, I would love, you know, I think they would make a great double feature. <laughs> oh yeah. Heck yeah. Heck Yeah. I want to see that. Somebody get the aircraft on the phone. Yes, I would. I would so be there. <laughs> Two different studios. I don't. Universal didn't do Young Frankenstein, did they? No, I believe it was. Um, was it Fox? Which means you've got an in. Yeah, it's true. Right. We can cover it on our show now. If, if That's it was right. Fox. That's a fun movie too, and I would probably put that up there like the, the great horror comedies. Oh yeah, definitely. But this one's at the top of the list. It really is. The idea of revisiting some of these older movies. Um, older movies, some of these movies that we previously covered on the show. I'm glad that the opportunity came around to do this um, because I know how much you love this movie. As soon as I heard you were going to do this, I knew I wanted to do this movie because mm-hmm. I, like I said earlier, I enjoyed your and Joe's coverage of the film, but I was a little sad that I wasn't able to talk about this movie. Oh, <laughs> but now I got, I was able to scratch that itch and I'm good. <laughs> This is a movie that we can revisit again and again and again because it, it holds up. Oh, it, definitely, it really I, does hold I've up. I've lost so, track the number well. of times I've watched this film. And this makes me want to go and put in another Abbott and Costello movie. It'll happen in a few minutes because you've got places to be. That's right. And in-laws to entertain. Now, do you want to... So before we wrap up, Scott... I was going to say, are we yeah. going to do a classic five? I was going to say, yeah, we need to do a round of the classic five. You got time for it? I have time, but you're cutting in and out. So hopefully um, I'll be able to hear the questions. The Classic Five. The Classic Five, for listeners who don't know, is a game that we play here on the show with listeners. Every time somebody comes on, I pull out a deck of cards. Each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question? There are no wrong answers. This is simply a conversation starter or ender in this particular case, since we're doing it at the end of the show. Uh, It's just a way for Monster Kids to talk about some of their favorite things. Ready to do this, Scott? I am ready. All right. Card number one, right off the tap. What classic monster movie that never had a sequel could have used one? Hmm. Classic monster movie that never had a sequel. I, I'm thinking of some sci-fi movies I would love to have oh, yeah? seen some sequels to, but monster movies. Well, we can go classic sci-fi. I'm going to say all the monster movies I'm thinking of have sequels. 
I'm really drawing a blank. I mean, I would love to see, you know, something like the original War of the Worlds. I would like to have seen what Ooh. would have what would have happened if the forces of Earth went to Mars. But then do you count the remake <laughs> as a sequel to that? I don't know. This time we're taking a fight to them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, World of the Worlds would be great. I'm all in. You know, maybe tarantula and see some more giant uh, little creatures becoming big again. I think that would be cool. <laughs> more things got out, man. That's right. <laughs> all right. Tarantula part two. Done. Somebody the make giant, that happen. The giant snail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right, guard number two, who else could have or should have played a mad scientist? Kind of apropos, considering something we were talking about a little bit ago. I would like to see Robin Williams have played a mad scientist. But Flubber, man, isn't that? Uh, he was a goofy scientist. I would like to, in his uh, evil role, because he's in a couple evil mo- movies, like that one movie about uh, where he was a f- in the photomat type thing. Oh, what was that called? I forget what it was, but yeah, you're right. I would like to have seen him in in that persona being an evil scientist. I think that would have been amazing. That would have been fun. He had the acting chops. He really yes, could he did. go drama if he wanted to. Miss that guy. All right. Uh, going back to, oh, big bugs and such. Kind of, sort of. Half the question is that. Whatever. Card three. Bert I. Gordon or Roger Corman? Roger Corman. Because really? he's, he's still making movies. How involved is he really? Well, he's still influential at the very least. And I think his stable of actors and directors is much bigger than Bird Eye Gordon. I think with Bird Eye Gordon, you think about big things. You don't think about faces and people. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So that was card three. So card four, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad or Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, Jason and the Argonauts. Now, from the makers of Sinbad, Columbia Pictures presents Jason and the Argonauts. The mightiest band of warriors the world has ever known. Turn back, Jason! We're trapped! Sailing to the ends of the earth, battling against an incredible number of obstacles. Where will you find this miracle? I have heard there is a tree at the end of the world with a fleece of gold hanging in its branches. In search of the fabulous magic golden fleece, Jason and the Argonauts, the search that became a legend. That's the one with the uh, the skeletons, right? And you, that scene is one of my favorite Harryhausen scenes. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I agree with you. I'm not trying to question. You know, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm on the same page. I was just curious. All right. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I have not had a Monster Bash card come up in forever playing this game with anybody. This is from the Monster Bash exclusive deck. This is happening. Even though we didn't want to go down this path, what other comic or comedy team would you like to see meet the classic monsters? Ah. <laughs> we tried to, you tried to avoid this too. Yes, I did. Ah, uh, uh, too bad. <laughs> Answer the question. Uh. Bill and Ted. Really? Yeah. Huh. They, Bill and Ted, they have to win a science fair for some reason, and they go back and they meet Frankenstein. They use their time machine to go back and meet Frankenstein. 
Oh, there's a new film coming from them. Maybe that's what happens. Maybe that's what happens. <laughs> I'm kind of in love with the idea of Martin and Lewis running into him somehow. If we're going to go with classic, I want to see a Bob Hope type. Yeah. Or the Marx Brothers. Oh, the Marx Brothers? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. Can you, man, you think Dracula had a hard time with Adam Costello. Can you imagine just Groucho <laughs> doing verbal gymnastics around him? I, and how I just flustered he would be. I want the two of them just in a debate the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that would be cool. I'm in. Yep, that's my answer. The Marx Brothers. Here we go. Oh, <laughs> well, we got through the classic five in re- in record time. It feels like. <laughs> Ooh, and I think the coffee's finally kicked in. So Scott, to answer your question earlier, I'm doing pretty good today. Oh, that's good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Disney Indiana's your home base. What's going on over there, man? Uh, we just kicked off our 2020 uh, monthly segment in our last episode. Tracy and I are going to be sharing a book that we found from 1954 called Mickey Sees the USA, where Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and Pluto pile into a trailer and make their way across the uh, country seeing different landmarks and different uh, Uh, historical sites, and we're reading a chapter at a time uh, throughout the entire year. Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and Pluto. Yes. No Goofy. No Goofy. I'm not interested. (laughs) It's actually kind of an interesting, fun book. It was uh, written as part of an educational series for schools, but it's fun. It uh, has a lot of elements of the long, long trailer with different things going wrong with the trailer. Very cool. I am excited about that now. I have not listened to the last episode, to your most recent episode, because I was kind of avoiding it because I didn't want to get to Star Wars talk. Star Wars talk was also there. Yep. And I held off on seeing Rise of Skywalker until recently. But I'm really excited to hear this because I, I love what you do on Disney Indiana. Don't get me wrong. You guys do a lot of the newer stuff. Yes. I love it when you go old school. That's part of the reason we hadn't done much old school. And when we found this book uh, last year, it was like, this would be perfect. We can get us back into some more of the old school Disney stuff. Which I adore. So that's so cool, man. I'm excited for it. It's, All it, right. It's a lot of fun so far. I mean, we've done one chapter, but we, we've both read the book. so Very cool, man. All right. So we got about 10 minutes for you to get ready for your in-laws. That's so true. I'm and gonna... I still have to shower. So... <laughs> So I got to go. Well, thanks for sharing. Um, <laughs> wasn't where I was going with that, but okay. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to do this, my friend. Seriously, tell your mother-in-law I said hello. Will do. I know that sounds creepy, but we exchanged Christmas cards, so it's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, please tell Bren hello for me. Yeah, when she wakes up. I'll go wake her up right now and tell her. Okay? No, please don't. Scott wanted me to wake you up and say hello. No, please don't. No. She no. knows where I live. <laughs> The last time we talked about the Abbott and Costello movies was back in 2015. I'll make sure there are links in the show notes to the previous Abbott and Costello films that I covered with Joe Stuber, and I'll be playing the promo for Comic Book Central here in a second so you can catch up with Joe and see what he's up to these days. And of course, a link to Disney Indiana is in the permalink section of our website 
as well. So you can follow up with Scott and Tracy and everything they've got going on over at their Disney Indiana podcast. Scott, thank you for doing this. And again, I really appreciate you making a point to sneak in a recording before your in-laws came over for their wedding anniversary. I hope that went well, or at least as good as our conversation went when we talked about Abbott and Casella meet Frankenstein. What a wonderful film. And man, I am so jealous that he had a chance to see that at the art craft and to see a movie like that in a theater that looks like that, man, what a treat. What a treat. Thanks again, Scott. Bird watchers attention. This is Alfred Hitchcock. The birds is coming. I'm sure all you cats will enjoy the birds. Watch for the birds. Yorga, Yorga, Count Yorga returns. Here is a vampire picture you can really get your teeth into. The return of Count Yorga. A vampire lover returns from the dead to seek a mate from the living. One never knows when he might encounter some of the more unusual truths that exist in this world. See the return of Count Yorga in color rated GP. comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. She is Erin Gray. Erin, welcome to the show. I ended up being a contract player making, I think it was $600 a week. Gil was doing great. He was making the big bucks. You got the posters, though. You got <laughs> yes. the posters. Come I on. look better in white spandex. What can I say? <laughs> hey, this is Michael Rosenbaum. Lex Luthor from Smallville. Make sure you listen to this guy's show. Sounds like a good guy. People should listen to you, Joe. Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book. Comic Book. Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior. This is David Colton of the Rondo Awards, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for tagging along with me this week when we talked about Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, when Kenny had some things to say, for the feedback, for everything that we talked about here on the show. Just, I appreciate you guys and gals being out there and being a listener of the show and supporting what we do here. Some of the ways you can support us is by retweeting the tweets and sharing the posts on Facebook when it comes to announcements of new episodes of Monster Kid Radio. And of course, if you have any comments about Monster Kid Radio, please feel free to send that in. You can always email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or you can call and leave a voicemail like Karen did at the top of the show by calling 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-M KR, or if you want to record your own audio segment, feedback, or just anything really that might be Monster Kid related, feel free to email that to me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com as well. You can always find me on Facebook and Twitter too. And like I said at the top of the show, 
got some YouTube action coming up, so you can find me there as well. You can find links to everything that we talked about here on the show at monsterkidradio.net. You're going to find links to all the Joe Stuber, Abbott and Costello episodes. You'll find Amazon affiliate links to Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein and some of their other Abbott and Costello films that you can buy through Amazon. And when you follow the Amazon affiliate links that I have on our website, you help support the show that way. You can also find our Patreon page. Now, here's the thing about Patreon. I know I've been talking a lot lately about changing that up, and I'm going to. That's one of the things that's on my to-do list this month. I do want to say that Monster Kid Radio has a Discord server. Discord is like an ongoing chat room, and that is something that I'm going to be using more and more in the future. In fact, it's going to be a Patreon-exclusive feature. So if you're already in the Discord, I'm not going to kick you out. I mean, you kind of grandfathered in. But in the future, if you want to be part of the Monster Kid Radio Discord, well, keep an eye out for our updated Patreon campaign. I was also speaking with Joe Schultz the other day about doing another movie a marathon watch along like we did for Halloween. That is something that I'm considering doing again here within the next month or so. It won't be an all day event like Halloween was, but it was so much fun to host that on Twitch and have listeners pop in and check out the movies, participate in the chat room. It was just a treat. So that may be happening on a weekend here in the near future as well. And that'll be open to everybody. I want to thank everybody for your support of the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. Really appreciate that. And I just appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. You you in the corner listening to the podcast. You don't think anybody knows you're listening. I know you're listening. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Don't Press This Button Again. That belongs to the band The Necronautics, which you can find at thenecronautics.bandcamp.com. Check out their EP, Scattered Peace. Buy it for five euro and let them know that you heard them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week when Flashback February hopefully continues because I don't have any recordings lined up yet, but hopefully this weekend I'll have something in the can. Ciao. (laughs) 